you that I love you. And I want you to know I mean that. I, I love you. God blessed us with a great week last week, and uh, that was due in part to so many of you who said, I want to serve the Lord by serving others. Some of you served in three services. There's some that served in four services last week. And uh, I want to thank you for that. I want you to know I love you. I want you to know that I'm very, very proud of you. And um, let me pray for us, okay? Pray with me if you would. Holy Spirit, your presence fills this room. I know there are some who don't sense that. But that doesn't take away from the fact that you are here and that you fill this room. And Lord, you reside in the body of every believer in this room. What a great God you are. We ask, Holy Spirit, that you would speak to us, that you would reveal truth to us, that you would minister to us, that you would teach us, that you would change us, that you would mold us and shape us into the people that you want us to be. For Lord, it is our heart to be like you. I ask that you would bless this time of Bible study, and sometimes, Lord, this is a tough uh, Bible study for some, and, um, but I pray that they would see your heart of love and your desire for your best in their lives. And I ask you to bless. Lord, for those who are here this morning who um, having a difficult time right now, they're, they're hurting, maybe it's because of loss, maybe it's because of disappointment, uh, maybe it's a physical thing, maybe it's a financial thing, I, I ask that you administer to them in a very special way. May they experience the reality of your love and your presence in this place and your ministry in their lives. Accomplish what you want to accomplish. We trust you for that. I pray this in your name, amen. Hey, uh, what we look at today, I think, is absolutely foundational. Uh, what I mean by that is when we come into a relationship with Jesus, when we start that incredible journey, uh, this is one of the very first things that we ought to learn. And as a church family, and those who disciple, and those who mentor, and those who teach, this is, a, this is one of the first things that I believe we ought to be teaching believers, new believers. It has application. Uh, it, 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 is, it is a doable thing in, in the life of a child and an adult and everybody in between. It's great, great truth. I um, observe um, so many Christians and have opportunity to interact with them. And I can tell you that almost every Christian that I have an opportunity to interact with and talk to would like to think or would, like, or, or, or would have a heart and a desire to be what the Apostle Paul describes in the 8th chapter of Romans in the 37th verse where he says, no, in all of these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. We're more than conquerors. Not just conquerors. We're super conquerors. Overcomers. Victory in Jesus. That's the, 
that, that has been bought and paid for. It's God's design, it's God's desire, it's God's intent for us to experience life in that way. As an overcomer, as a conqueror. No, not a conqueror, more than a conqueror, he says. The experience of far too many believers... I'm compelled to say the vast majority of believers, they want to live in chapter 8. That they want that to be the testimony of their life. Unfortunately, far too often, we find ourselves in what Paul describes in chapter 7 of Romans, where he's speaking and he says, this is what I find about myself. I do not do the good that I want. But the evil that I do not want is what I keep on doing. I think it's important that we clarify, that we make sure that everybody understands right at the beginning that what we're talking about here, what Paul is talking about in chapter 7, is sin. He's talking about sin. Sin will kill you. That's what the Bible says. Now, for those who are believers, that's not talking about spiritual death. But I'm telling you, sin will kill you. It affects you in ways that you can't even know and you can't even imagine. It affects people who are around you. We, we have this tendency to kind of brush it off. It's no big deal. It's a victimless kind of thing. I'm just, just going to do it this once. I'm just going to... And, and, and we, we, we don't place any value we don't place any importance on the fact that this is grieves God's heart that it impacts our lives and it impacts those who are around us and it ultimately it's end is death it says in verse 21 and verse 22 of Romans chapter 6 if it doesn't kill you physically I can assure you of this it will kill your joy it will kill your peace it will kill your fellowship with God and your interaction with God. It'll kill your fellowship and interaction with other believers. It'll destroy your testimony. The end of it is death. I want you to know that God can bless anytime He wants and He can bless through anybody that He wants. And I have seen God bless ministries of people who were living in sin and refused to address it. But I want you to understand that God doesn't call us to serve, and God doesn't call us to give because He needs us to serve or to give. He calls us to serve and give because that's what we need. Because that's how we experience Him. Because that's how He grows us. Because that's how He changes us. We serve and we grow. We we serve and we give because God calls us to do that. And we can do that with sin in our lives, undealt with sin in our lives, and God may choose to bless that situation. And I think you've probably seen it. I know that I've seen it times before. But it's killing you. I'm trying to be emphatic this morning on purpose. Because we don't take sin seriously. Because we have this way of just brushing it off. It's no big deal. And folks, I want you to know that it is a big deal. It's a big deal in your life, and it grieves the heart of our Savior. Paul says he finds himself doing what he doesn't want to do and failing to do what he desires to do. It's a description, I think, uh, you would agree with me, uh, uh, of a battle that's raging inside of the believer. 
I think it's important to note that this experience is a battle, it's a struggle, and it occurs in believers. Well, I would say to you this morning, if you find that you can sin, then there's no battle there, there's no sense of remorse there. You need to check your faith. Because I don't think that that's possible, that you can be a believer. Some people's problem with sin is they have no problem with sin. And that is a time when you need to check and see if the faith that you have is true saving faith. Because the Bible describes this struggle, the Bible describes this battle. And God, God calls us to have victory over these things in our life, and He provides for us to have victory over these things in our life. His provision for sin in our lives and dealing with sin in our lives can be found in the sixth chapter of Romans. We want to live in eight. We want to be more than conquerors. We find ourselves in seven with this incredible struggle and this incredible battle going on. But God's provision for being more than conquerors is found in chapter six. We want to look at a few of those verses together this morning. Chapter one through five of the, of the book of Romans deals with positional truths. Stay with me here for a second. Positional truths of justification. Justification is is the doctrine of your salvation. It's what happened to you when you were saved. It was at that instant of salvation, that instant of, of transferring your faith to Jesus and what he did on that cross, that God began to look at you as righteous. As amazing as that may sound, it's a miracle, a supernatural thing. I'm in awe of it that God would look at me and say, he's righteous. He looks as you as, at you as if you've never sinned. It's a positional thing. It's an identity thing. It's, it's, a, it's a who you are thing. You became a child of the Most High God. It's not something that you walk out so much as it's, something, it's someone that you are. It's positional. That's Romans 1 through 5. And then Romans 6 through 8, it's more practical. It deals with what we call sanctification sanctification means to be set apart that in the course of our spiritual journey last week we talked about how to begin a spiritual journey with Jesus by grace through faith that not of yourselves it's a gift of God he transforms you he changes you you become a brand new creature and it's the beginning not the end And then it becomes a journey of God being involved in your life and molding you and shaping you and teaching you and using you and growing you. You're set apart, sanctified, you're set apart to be used by God and to become more conformed to the image of Jesus. It's a process. It's something that we walk out in our lives. It's something that we're very conscious of in our lives. It's something we aspire to, those two things, to be used and to be changed. Romans 1 through 5 tells us that we were in sin. Romans 6 through 8 tells us that we are now dead to sin. We'll talk about that in a second. Romans 1 through 5 tells us we're free from the penalty of sin. Praise God, because the penalty of sin is eternal separation from God. In a place the Bible calls hell. But Romans 6 through 8 tells us we're free from the power of sin. Have you ever thought about that? We are free from the power of sin. How many of us in this room allow sin 
to control us. We're a slave to it. It determines decisions that we make. But that's not God's intent. It's not God's provision for us. He tells us in Romans chapter 6 that we are free from the power of sin. We have a sin problem. All of us do. And there comes a time where when we, as it, we have to address this because it impacts. It impacts us, it impacts our families, it impacts our church, it impacts our community, and it grieves the heart of our Savior. If you don't care, if you don't care that that exists, this is going to be really boring to you. If you don't care, we need to talk. I think three verses in Romans chapter 6, we, we, we could spend hours on, on this chapter, but I think three verses in Romans chapter 6 kind of gives us a, a picture, gives us an idea, teaches us what God's strategy is for giving us victory over sin. This ought to interest everybody who struggles, who has that, that inner struggle. The first of, of, the, of the three verses is the sixth verse of chapter 6. And the first part of that sixth verse says this, we know that our old self was crucified with him. I want us to focus first on that word know. We know this. This is a fact. This is something I can take to the bank. We know that 2,000 years ago, when Jesus was crucified on that cross, something incredible happened. And for me personally, it was that my old sin nature was crucified with him. Now look, I'll be honest with you, I have a hard time understanding exactly what that concept is, but I know this, it's good, and I'm grateful for it, and I will be eternally grateful for it, that my sin nature was crucified with Jesus on that cross. When God declares a truth, and he's declaring a truth here, it couldn't be any more clear. When God declares a truth, we either accept that as a fact, or we deny that. God says to us, this is the truth. Our enemy says to us, come on, get real. That can't possibly be true. That's why the Apostle Paul is... is, intentionally saying in this verse, here's what we know. We know that this is true. I think a lot of times we mess up when we, when we rely. Look, I read this illustration this past week. This is like three men who were walking a tightrope. The man in the front is fact. The man in the middle is faith. And the man in the back is feelings. The man in the middle, faith, will will walk a straight line and and will keep perfectly balanced as long as he keeps his eyes on the fact, right? That's fact. That's truth. I can take it to the bank. It's rigid. There's no flexibility there. That's truth. And I keep my eyes on that. But where we begin to stumble is when when we look back at emotions and feelings and experiences, trying to understand those and trying to explain those. And as soon as we take our eyes off the fact and we look at emotion, we start to stumble. We do this in our Christian walk. 
We place so much validity on our emotions and our feelings. I don't feel that way. You're a child of the king. I don't feel that way. It's a fact. You're a child of the king. You have faith in Jesus Christ. We turn and we analyze and we start to fall. Paul starts this verse by saying, we know. And then he continues the verse by saying this. In order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing. King James uses the word destroyed. In order that the body of sin might be destroyed or brought to nothing. So that we no longer are enslaved to sin. This is what we know. Now I'll give you a Greek word. I cannot possibly pronounce it. But it is kataragio. Now I know we have some Bible scholars in here who will want to look that up. So let me spell it for you. K-A-T-A-R-G-E-O. It's a Greek word. It, it, it translated, it's translated brought to nothing or, or destroyed. And here's what it means, and this is real important. It means it's rendered inactive, or it means it's paralyzed. It's not annihilated. It's not removed. It still remains, but it has been paralyzed. Our old sin nature if you will, is like a quadriplegic. It's paralyzed from the neck down. And so he will, this old sin nature, this, some call it the flesh, this old sin, he will intimidate you vocally and verbally, but what we have to understand is he's powerless to do anything outside of that. So he'll say to you, now go ahead. Go ahead and take that smoke, or go ahead and pour that drink, or go ahead and toy with that fantasy, or go ahead and lose your temper, go ahead and gossip. Tell a white lie. Nobody's going to care. Nobody's going to know. You can make that problem go away if you just tell a little white lie. This is him, and he's intimidating us, and he's talking to us. And our response has got to be to keep our eyes on the fact of what happened on Calvary 2,000 years ago. The fact is, what happened on Calvary 2,000 years ago is the very beginning of my victory over this attack, over this sin in my life. I know that it's true. That's the first verse. The second verse is verse 11. What we reckon. Now, my ESV Bible that I use here on Sunday mornings, here's what it says. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Now, here's another Greek word. It's the last one I'll give you. It's important that you understand how, how this is interpreted and how this, this was intended. Logsmose. <laughs> L-O-G-I. Z-O-M-A-I. It's the Greek word for reckon. I prefer the word reckon over consider because reckon is an accounting term. And there's no, uh, uh, there, there's no um, doubting its meaning here in this passage of Scripture. It means to add up all of the figures, all of the facts, and come to an irrefutable conclusion. And when we add up the facts, when we add up the figures of Romans chapter 6, here's what we get. My sin nature was crucified with Christ on the cross, and so that means it has no power over me. Now look, 
Here's what, here's what it's saying. This second thing, this reckoning, this considering is different than this is a fact and this is what we know. Now we're receiving it. We're believing it. We're accepting it. We're embracing it. We're making it a part of who we are. You understand that there's a difference between understanding that something is a fact and believing in that something. The, the, the resurrection of Jesus Christ is a historical fact. It's a historical fact. Many, many have tried to refute it and have failed. It's a historical fact. But there are only some who believe that. The fact is, for believers, our sin nature was crucified. Reckoning that is making that a part of who I am. It's truly believing that. I know that this fella is broke and hungry. And I say to him, why don't you go over here to Five and Diner and get you, get you something to eat? And he says, I can't. I'm, I'm broke. And I go, yeah, you can. Because you didn't know this, but I put some money in your account. And here's the deposit slip. And the teller signed off on it. And you go get yourself something to eat. And he goes, well, I just, I, I, don't, be, I don't believe you. Now, the, the question in a situation like that is, is, is he going hungry because the provision was insufficient? Or is he broke and can continue to be hungry because he simply didn't believe the fact that the provision was there? Your old sin nature has been crucified with Christ if you're a believer in Jesus Christ. Will you believe that? And will you embrace that? Or will you remain broke and hungry? If you do, it won't be because provision has not been made for you. That's reckoning. The third verse is verse 13. This is the apply part. This is the to-do part. Verse 13, it says, Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been bought, brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. This is where we apply what we know and believe. This is the action step. This is where we confront the voice of that old sin nature. This is where we speak up. This is where we walk it out. The sin nature speaks to us. You're in your office. It's after hours. You're all by yourself. You, 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 the sin nature goes, hey, I know what you're thinking. I know what you want to do. Why don't you go ahead and turn the computer on and go to that site and, and why don't you watch? Nobody's going to know. It's not going to hurt anybody. It's not going to hurt you. Just have a good time. But besides, you know what? You owe this to yourself. That's the old sin nature. Nobody's going to get hurt. But he's powerless to do anything beyond that. The old sin nature says, hey, you're filling out your taxes. You're a little short on money. You know it's going to be tight. 
you don't have to tell them the truth, and you're never going to get caught. You know you're not going to get caught. And besides, you're not doing this for yourself. You're doing this for your family. Your family needs this. That's the old sin nature. And what we are told to do here, and this is very emphatic here in, in, in these verses. Verse 13, do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness. Your members, your body, what God has made you. But present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. I think that what he's saying here is, you know what? You need to take your mind off of the sin nature. You need to take your mind off of what he's telling you to do. You need to take your mind off of the law. You need to take your mind off of sin and get your mind fixed upon Jesus. You need to gaze at him. I think it's, it's, what, it's what Jesus was talking about in Matthew 22. Hey, listen, you worried about the law? Forget the law. Do this. Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and love your neighbor. Don't worry about the rest of it. Keep your eyes focused on Jesus. I think there's this conscious decision. I think this guy, this sin nature starts telling us, he starts compelling us, he starts drawing us, and it's what it should do for us. And when I started this by saying this has got to become just a natural walk for us, it's got to become a way of life for us, it's got to become second nature to us, that when we begin to hear this voice, it's an immediate thing, you know what, I'm thinking about sin and not Jesus. I'm thinking about the law. I'm thinking about rules and not Jesus. Did you know that if you're thinking about Jesus, focusing on Jesus, interacting with Jesus, spending time with Jesus, you can't be thinking about those things. He can give us victory over those things. I read earlier Romans chapter 5, verses 5 through 8. I mean, it says this just as clearly as, as it can say it. Romans, I'm sorry, Romans 8, 5 through 8. Those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. Those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death. It always leads there. But to set the mind on the Spirit, that's life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law. It cannot submit to God's law. If this is where my mind is, I can't submit to God's law. If this is where my mind is, I'm not having fellowship with Jesus. If this is where my mind is, it's not focused on Him. God has provided us a way. Let me tell you, um, John Corson is one of my favorite commentators. I like to read his, his commentaries. I was reading his commentary on Romans chapter 6, and he drew a parallel of an Old Testament story. He says, for every truth in the New Testament, there's an Old Testament story. I think that's probably true. And he thinks the Old Testament story for the the truths that we see in Romans chapter 6, which is to know, which is to reckon, which is to apply, can be found in the book of Judges, in, in the third and fourth verse. Uh, third and fourth chapters of the book of Judges. I, I, I'll try to, to, to share this, this with you. The people of Israel had been uh, tormented and intimidated and oppressed and, and dominated, and some of them in slavery to the Canaanites for 30 years as a result of sin. Finally, after 30 years, God says, I want you to go to battle against them. 
They were outnumbered. They didn't have the, the weapons. But God says, I want you to go to battle with them. The king of the Canaanites at the time was a guy, a guy named Jabin. Sisera was the commander of the Canaanite army. The Israelites go to battle against the Canaanite, and against insurmountable odds, the Israelites defeat their enemy. But Sisera, the commander, escapes and runs for his life. And the Bible tells us that he had ran a great distance. He had been running for miles and miles, and he looked at the horizon, and he saw not too far in the distance a tent. And he approached the tent, and there was a woman standing in front of the tent. This woman's name was Jeriel, or Jael, J-A-E-L. Now, I have a feeling that they probably recognized each other because Jael was one of the crossover people. She was one of those people who had left the Canaanites to join the Israelites so she could worship and love and serve the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob the one true God. So she sees Sisera approaching her. She actually invites him into her tent. Even, even knowing that Sisera is the enemy, she invites him in. Sisera asks her if, she, if he could have just please a little bit of water. Now, in this story in Judges, Sisera represents the old nature. Separated now, Jael has a new life, a new faith, a new God, but the old nature has not died. It's not gone away. He asks her for a little water because that's what the old nature does. The old nature says, just a little bit. You don't have to sin a lot, just a little bit. And as you're aware, because you've experienced it, as I have time and time and time again, when you give the old nature a little bit, it wants more. It needs to be satisfied. The old nature is asking you, satisfy me, satisfy me, satisfy me. And so you give it a little, and it wants more and more and more and more, and it grows and it grows and it grows. It's never a little. Instead of water, Jael gives Sisera milk. And I think that that is preserved for us on purpose. She gives him milk because she knows that after his long journey and after his time in battle, that it'll make him go to sleep. So she gives him milk. But John Corson draws us to the attention of this is how we battle the old flesh, with milk. 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 2 says, Like an infant, you should long for the pure spiritual milk of the Word so that you may grow. And she battles the old nature with the Word of God. The Word for us today? Know and reckon and apply after he drinks his milk, Sisera asks for another favor, as the old nature often does. He says to her, I need you to hide me. I need you to lie for me. I don't want anybody to know that I was here. Now, isn't that just like the old nature? 
Don't tell anybody. Nobody needs to know. Cover me up. Lie about me. To make a long story short, Sisera falls asleep. Jael t- takes a, a hammer and a, and a, a tent stake and drives it through Caesarea's head. She kills him. She drives his head into the ground. That's what we're supposed to do with our old nature. It has no authority over you. It has no power over you. We walk around saying, look, I'm a human being. I'm going to sin, right? That's not what the Bible says. The Bible says that that old nature, that propensity to sin, that, that calling, that drawing to sin, it has no power over you. It can call you, but it can do nothing else. And you have power over it. You have power over sin. Look, this is a bold, bold statement, I know. Because, because we, we think we've got to sin. We're human beings. I'm saying if I can have victory over one sin, can I have victory over two? And if two, four? And if four, eight? Does God give me that provision? I think He does. I think He calls us to that. I don't expect that anybody in here will, will live the rest of their life sinless. But folks, this is, a, this is a foundational truth that we need to make second nature to ourselves. We don't have to, to succumb to the old sinful nature. God has given us a way out. He says, present yourselves to God as an instrument for righteousness. What will you do with this? Or is this a truth where you go, oh, come on, get real. That can't be true. You go home. You read Romans 6 and read it again and again and again. We'll look at Romans 7 next week and we'll talk about rules and regulations and how they affect us. We'll talk about grace. But this week, can we practice this? I mean, is that silly? Can we say, you know what, this week I'm going to practice. Every time I get that, that drawing, I get that urge, I, I, I hear that voice, I'm going to focus on Jesus. I'm going to get victory over it. That's how I'm going to live. I am not going to allow him to destroy me, destroy my family, destroy my calling, destroy my purpose, destroy my ministry. I will not allow it. He has no authority and he has no power over me. I got the victory 2,000 years ago. A hill called Mount Calvary. Avail ourselves of that. I invite you to stand. Everybody standing. Lord Jesus, this is a time of commitment. This is a time of interaction with you. Lord, I pray that, that those who had ears to hear heard your voice. And I pray that they would respond to you in a way that would please you. Lord, we we claim victory over our enemy even now as we turn our heads toward heaven and focus on you, asking you to have your will and way in our hearts and in our lives. Lead us, if you would, Arthur.